So in case you were wondering, the uh, redhead that showed up today is in fact my wife. I didn't bring another woman to church with me. Sorry. I know exactly where all your booties are. I remember. So this morning, uh, our epistle is from 1 John chapter 5, 1 through 6. And John writes, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the parent loves the child. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome, for whatever is born of God conquers the world. And this is the victory that conquers the world, our faith. Who is it that conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one that testifies, for the Spirit is the truth. Well, that's all well and good, but what does it mean? See, here John tells us that all who believe that Jesus is the Christ that Jesus is the Messiah, all who believe that have been born of God. Now that's good to know, Pastor, but what exactly do we have to believe about Jesus in order to be born of God? What specifically do we have to believe in our hearts to know that we are born again? That's an excellent question. I'm glad you asked See, according to John, the three things, if you're taking notes, the three things that we have to believe about Jesus in order to be born of God are these three. One, we must believe that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. See, we have to believe that he is, in fact, God incarnate and that he was born of a woman. The second thing, we must believe that he is God's son, born of a woman, which made him totally human, and God's only begotten son, which makes him totally divine at the same time. It's hard to get our heads around it, but this is the mystery of faith, isn't it? And the third thing that we have to believe is we must believe that he is the savior of the world. We have to believe that he, in fact, is the only one who is capable, who has the right character, the right birthright, the right makeup to save the world. Only Jesus. So it's great to know these things. It's great to write them down in our notes so that we can refer back to them. But see, John doesn't stop with that. He goes on to tell us here, in chapter 5 that our faith is not merely a question of knowledge but there's a real a very real ethical component to it 
What do I mean by that? Well, John says, if we love the one who conceives the child, we'll surely love the child who was conceived. The reality test on whether or not we love God's children is this. Do we love God? Do we keep his commands? And the proof that we love God comes when we keep his commandments. Now we're approaching annual conference at the end of this month. And if you were at last year's annual conference, the bishop introduced his focus for the Texas annual conference. And his focus was that we love all of God's children. That's all encompassing. That covers everyone that God created. I, don't, I can't think of a single person that that leaves out. I'm sure there's some that are straining the edges of that, but all of them are created and loved by God, and because of that, we are called to love them as well. So I'm here to tell you that the bishop's focus is right on target with this biblical mandate that comes with believing that Jesus is the Messiah because faith and love are inseparable. And if we say we love God, then we surely must love his children. If we say we love God, then we must keep his commandment to love our neighbor as what? As ourselves. See, but pastor, sometimes it's really hard to love our neighbor. And indeed it is if we see the world through the world's eyes. And this is where we have to train ourselves. John says here that for the believer, God's commandments aren't burdensome. Being obedient to God, John says, is not troublesome. It's not impossible for the believer. Why? Because John says every begotten, God-begotten person, everyone who is saved in Christ, conquers the world's ways. The conquering power that brings the world to its knees is our faith as believers. The person who wins out over the world's ways is simply the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. That's a lot of power given to us as the body of Christ, the church, isn't it? Jesus is the Son of God. He is the divine Christ. John says he experienced a life-giving birth and a death-killing death. I like that. Let's say that again. He experienced a life-giving birth and a death-killing death. Not only birth from the womb, but baptismal birth of his ministry and sacrificial death. John says, and all the while the Spirit is confirming the truth 
the reality of God's presence at Jesus' baptism and crucifixion, bringing those occasions, those events alive for us. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us, dwelling in us as believers, makes these things make sense to us. Without the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, this is why the world has so much trouble with this. It's utter nonsense to them because they don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them to make sense of it. So we have this testimony. It's a triple testimony. It's the testimony of the Spirit, the testimony of the baptism, the testimony of the crucifixion, and those three things work in perfect agreement. So how does all this affect us, Pastor? You have such insightful questions this morning. (laughs) So I'll tell you how this affects all of us. Once we accept who Jesus is, once we accept the eternal life-giving relationship that he offers us through his birth, through his baptism, and our baptism, through his ministry, through his crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection. Once we have this mind renewal and heart renewal concerning all of that, then our response simply must be in the faith that we have in that belief to love all of his children. And to be a witness, giving our testimony to all the people that we meet out there about who he is and what he has done for us on a very real, very personal, life-changing level. Even if you think your conversion was... Well, I I believe it happened. I I just can't pinpoint it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be earth-shaking and earth-shattering. It's different for everyone, that moment when you accept Christ as Savior. From that moment on, it's not a guarantee that your life is all rosy and happy and carefree. That's not what it says at all. But from the moment you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are transformed. And from that moment forward, you never walk through everything that this fallen and broken world throws at you. You never walk through it alone ever again. So you might ask, while you're asking questions, you might ask, why is our testimony important? Well, because your testimony about the faith that you have in God through the death and the resurrection of the Son by the guidance and the power of the Holy Spirit, that is the very movement of God's church in the world spreading the truth which conquers the world, which vanquishes the forces of evil, sin, sickness, death. All of that cannot stand up to the mustard seed sized faith of one individual Christian. 
your faith and witness, win the victory over the world. And so this morning, I have more to add to my testimony. I have more to add to my witness of the life-saving, death-defeating power of faith in Jesus Christ. A week ago, yesterday, I was involved in a car wreck that took the life of a man, the very man that caused it. The question I get most often is, what happened? And so I will tell you what I know while we're all gathered here together as part of my testimony. And I'll explain why. Because testimony is important. See, last Saturday, Angela had just returned from Atlanta and from New Orleans the week before. Did I get that right? And as a result of all that travel and being on the airplane and breathing in everybody's stuff, she was feeling poorly and she was in bed and she was getting some much needed rest. And I was taking care of her as best as I could you know, fixing the chicken soup and that kind of thing. And so after I fixed her a, a, a late and meager lunch, trust me, it was meager, it was me cooking, I decided that we needed food in the house. And so I decided about 3.30 in the afternoon that I would go to Kroger in Atascacita. And as I approached the 1960 bridge over Lake Houston, there was a tan or a silver pickup coming the opposite direction. I was in the far right lane. This is a six-lane highway. I don't know where he started, but he ended up coming across the median at a high rate of speed, and he sideswiped a red pickup. And then he hit a black Suburban on the side and caused it to roll multiple times. And while vehicle was exploding in front of me, I didn't know what parts were coming from what. All of a sudden, he was right there, and we hit head on his super duty 2500 Chevy pickup and my little Mazda went head to head. You know, the force of that impact is so hard to describe. I remember that it knocked the wind out of me first and it made it really difficult to, to get air back into my lungs. and. I knew the airbags had deployed and then this black smoke, not the powdery stuff that comes from airbags, but black smoke when oil burns was pouring through the air vents and the engine was revving uncontrollably as if I had my foot pushing the accelerator all the way to the floor. And in the midst of all this chaos and crunching and banging and exploding, there was this peace that settled about me. Peace from the inside. And these instructions just came forward, step by step, telling me what I needed to do next. I've had a long time to think about this. This voice inside me said, find the engine off button and push it. And I did. I said, now find the seatbelt button and push it. And I did that and nothing happened. And the voice said, push it again. It was a calming voice. 
And so the seatbelt came loose, and then the voice said, now reach for the door handle and pull it, and I couldn't find it. The side airbag was still inflated, and it was covering it, and this voice said, it's supposed to stay inflated. Just use your left hand to pull it back and use your right hand to pull the lever. And I did, and the door showed that it had unlocked, but it didn't pop open like it usually does when you pull the handle. And so the voice said, push hard on the door. And I said back, it's not moving. And the voice said, you're gonna have to use your legs. And so I turned in my seat and I put both legs on the door and I pushed and the door opened halfway and that was enough. And the voice said, now slide underneath the airbag and get out of the car. So I woke up in the grass on the side of the road to the sound of a different voice. It was an HPD officer, I think. And he was asking me what branch of the service I was in. And I don't know how he knew that I'd been in the service. Maybe it was from my license plate. I don't know. And so I asked if someone could get my phone so I could call my wife. And so somebody brought me the phone and I called her while I was laying in the grass and I don't really recall the, the conversation specifically, but I remember that her voice was calm. And I remember thinking that if this is the last time I hear her voice, how blessed my life has been with her. So by the time I was strapped to the board and loaded into the ambulance, the pain from the impact was starting to kick in. And after about seven hours in the ER at Memorial Hermann in Humble, all the tests came back clear and nothing was broken and there was no evidence of internal injury, just bruises and cuts and scrapes, bloody nose, bump on my head, proving that my head is harder than the windshield. And there was soreness. And I'm getting better every day. I'm off my pain meds. Just how I drove here. Ruth will attest to the fact that I cannot back up a full-size pickup. But I got it worked out. I walked out of the ER late. Saturday night very slowly and with help but I walked out on my own two feet and for that I can only praise my Savior Jesus Christ my Father God and the Holy Spirit that dwells within me and so in the wake of all that I have some observation see at the scene of the accident I felt that peace that passes all understanding I must confess to you now that I really didn't understand what that meant until Saturday. That in the midst of such chaos, the God who dwells within me, the Holy Spirit of God was guiding me step by step. And there was this blessed assurance. And I'll tell you again, I have really had no concept of what that meant until Saturday. That no matter what the outcome of this, I would be okay. And then at the hospital, I could feel the prayers of people working for my healing. I knew it was happening, and Angela was in communication with a lot of folks, and she was telling me that this person is praying, and these people are praying. The prayers of my church family and others 
kicking in and going to work for me and for everyone that was involved in that accident. Angela got out of her sick bed and came to my side and was calm. Handled the phone calls. Helped me to understand what was being said and done by the doctors and the nurses and hospital administrators. They want your money, by the way. It doesn't matter how you're feeling. Her strength was her testimony. Carl and Sheila visited and prayed with us, and I knew with that visit and the phone calls that my church family were praying also. Bobby and Chris, who are on vacation enjoying tulips up in Michigan right now, they were in constant communication with Angela, and they were praying along with others in the community. I think they were at an Emmaus dinner or something in, at Atascacita United Methodist, and they were praying. Monday afternoon, Monday after the wreck, we went to the vehicle storage lot to get my stuff out of the wreckage. And God had timed our trip so that we got there the same time as the woman who was in the black suburban that flipped over and over. Not a scratch on her. She didn't even go to the hospital. We got there the same time as she and her husband. And after someone came along and, and cut her seatbelt so that she could crawl out of her upside down vehicle. She and several bystanders, two of whom were pastors of local churches, formed a prayer circle right there on the side of 1960 amid all of that wreckage and prayed over the whole scene. It's the power of faith. The power of prayer, the power of the people of God made manifest in all of us who lived through the event of the four cars involved. Everyone eventually walked away whole with just bumps and bruises, except for the driver who, for whatever reason, caused this accident. The one soul who died on the helicopter that was taking him to the hospital. And I pray for his family, and I hope you will too. Still have no idea how that happened. Miracle upon miracle, the two small children, the children of the man who died, were in the truck with him, in their car seats, and they walked away. And so this event is now part of my testimony. And really, it's a part of all of our testimonies as the family of God. That the faith in Jesus Christ as Savior causes us to respond in love and in prayer. And we know that this is the victory that conquers the world. Our faith. Like John says, who is it that conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? The one who believes. Just one believer is all it takes to conquer the world. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.